Good morning from Memphis, Tennessee. Beautiful Memphis, Tennessee. On a crisp 44 degrees. Hanging with a good friend of mine, Sturgis. He's been involved in the Memphis scene for quite a while, and I've known him for quite a while. So let's welcome to the podcast, Mr. Sturgis. How you doing? Very good. Good morning, Joel. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Good morning, Joel. So here we are, January 26th, 2019. Who could, who could believe it? 2019. And uh, you're here for the IBCs? Yes. Here for the International Blues Challenge. <clears throat> and it is a challenge. It is a challenge. It is a challenge. Not a competition. Correct. Music's not a competition. It shouldn't be. Met a lot of nice people from it. And continue to do that. It's more of a networking thing, what I've learned. But let's talk about you. Well, you know, it's funny. We have mutual friends. So, ostensibly speaking, we've been in each other's orbit for 20, 30 years. But, yeah. We never actually met until the 2014 IBC. Right. So, five years ago. Yeah. We met here in Memphis. We were uh, in the same venue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who could forget? <clears throat> and I think that was, I know that was my first IBC. Was that your first? Really? No, it wasn't your first. You were here with the Hepcat Boo Daddy. In 2006. Then, when was it? When it 2012? 2014. 2014. Yeah. I did one in 2012, then 2014, then with Annie Piper, and then now again here. So this is your fifth return yeah. to the IBCs. <clears throat> what, what is the... Did you ever make the finals, semifinals? How far semifinals. did you ever... You made the semifinals. It's a tough racket, kid. <laughs> it's also a positive one. I've scored tons of gigs from it. You probably have too. No question. Just keeps going, really. So, what made you pick up a guitar, Sturgisson? What, what made you pick up a guitar? And, Ed, and where did you learn? The Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. I was six years old, and uh, I harangued my parents for a guitar. I got an acoustic guitar, <clears throat> and I started taking lessons. Um, Don't mind the seating here. You're going to have to edit this, Joel. <laughs> I started taking lessons uh, when I was eight. Um, I had the same teacher on and off until I was 12. His name was uh, Mr. Haslam, and this was when we were living in New Jersey. I'm originally from Brooklyn, and we moved to New Jersey when I was eight, and, and that's where I took lessons for four years. And I learned how to read music, crazy, um, and a little bit of theory. Um, and and some good technique. Um, the guy was kind of he was kind of interesting, very old school, I guess, big band musician or something. And uh, he used to rap me on the head with his baton when I made a mistake. 
Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he was a very good teacher. What was his name? Walt. Walt Haslam. Very long time ago. But he got me started. Um, and my dad had a crazy uh, jazz and blues record collection. There was always music in the house. Yeah. And uh, I started hearing Muddy Waters when I was not even a teenager. <laughs> yeah, and it made a huge, huge impact on me. I've always loved that music. And um, I picked up my first slide when I was 14 years old and never looked back. I've been doing it for a long time. So what made you choose blues and rock as opposed to another genre? Muddy Waters. Literally. And keeping in mind that these were the days before the internet. No YouTube. <laughs> yeah. None of that. Put the needle on the record. Yeah. So the cassette tape. I had the library. No, well, there weren't even cassettes yet when I started. That came along a little bit later. Um, so tracking down any information on this music was not exactly the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, I bet. Not like it is now. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, I picked up my first slide when I was 14 because of, because of Muddy Waters. Um, but it took until I was about 18 to find out that there was such a thing as, a, as an open tuning. Uh -huh. I didn't know that existed. <clears throat> and that opened all doors? Well, that, open? yeah, that was, that was the final hurdle, really. Um, once I found out about that, there was no stopping me. And pretty much any professional uh, situation I've ever been in, it's, it's, it's certainly helped me out, you know. Now I got half of the jobs I've had. This guy can play slide guitar. Tell me about your band. What's the name of your band? I mean, I know it, but people, people listening, don't know who you are. Are you sure about that? I'm sure. I'm sure that they do, but there could be other people who don't know. I have a band <laughs> called Low Society with my wife, Mandy Lemon, and. Uh, we got together about 10 years ago. Cool. Introduced by a mutual friend in New York, where we were both living at the time, and uh, recorded uh, our first album in uh, 2010, so nine years ago. How many albums do you have? We have three out, uh, and our, we have a good head start on number four. We've, we've got uh, a bunch of songs. Uh, in rough rough form, recorded now, and uh, I have to finish it. Where are you recording? Um, well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> we did the basic tracks in Belgium. Cool. Back in uh, early December last year, and uh, I'm looking right now for some place to finish it. I'd like to. Recent one was very good. Sanctified. Yeah. Well, we recorded that one in Belgium as well, and I finished it here in Memphis. Wow. Uh, our last two albums, I, I did all of the final recording and mixing at American Studios, the legendary American Studios here in Memphis. Um, really fantastic place, and uh, if I had my druthers, I'd be in there right now 
working on this one, but that's no longer an option. The studio is under new management. Oh. Uh, yeah. New engineer runs the place, and I, I can't afford it. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, we're back here, we here with Sturgis. <clears throat> Continue in part yeah, so, two. Yeah, so, you know, Memphis is a funny place. Yes, it is. really is. Um, we came here at the beginning of 2012. Um, we decided to get the hell out of New York. Um, it's very expensive to live there, as everyone's aware. Yeah. And uh, I read an article, an interview with some musician who lived here in Memphis, and I was fascinated to hear in this article how cheap it was to live here and that there were services afforded to musicians, which was, came as a shock to me because certainly there's nothing like that in New York. Um, so uh, we, we played the Juke Joint Festival down in Clarksdale, Mississippi that year. Um, actually, we've, we've played Juke Joint five times. Um, so you know Stan? Stan Street? Hambone Art Gallery? I know of him. I don't, I don't know the guy. No. Awesome. He's here. Do you want to... Well, it's anyway. Only, yeah, it's only an hour away. Um, at, at any rate, um, when the festival uh, ended, the, um, we, at the time, um, we hadn't made it to Memphis yet. We were staying in Texas, in Houston, with friends. Um, we tried Texas first, but uh, Houston, Houston's an, another tough town to live in. Um, if you don't have a job and you don't have a place to live and you don't have any money. Um, yeah, those are key. <laughs> yeah, they're key, and, and it just wasn't coming together. Um, so when the Juke Joint Festival ended, someone suggested, well, why don't you visit Memphis? It's only an hour away. And I had just read that article, so I was game to come here and put, put an eye on it. And literally within 48 hours, we, we knew that this, this was the place we wanted to be. Um, the first day, literally the afternoon, we, we, checked, we checked into uh, bed and breakfast, and uh, we took a look, uh, I think, on Craigslist to see what was, you know, in the musician section. And there was a thing, uh, that there was a blues thing at Huey's on Madison Avenue. Uh, so we went over there, I think maybe two or three hours after we, after we literally got to town, and there's Earl of Pearl on stage at Huey's, which was like so fantastic. If, if you've never seen Earl of Pearl, he's... Earl of the Earl Pearl. Earl the Pearl. No. Yeah, he's an old-time Memphis blues man. He's in his late 70s. Um, plays a Stratocaster, and he is fantastic. Fantastic, he really is. What a character. So we saw Earl the Pearl that first day, and then that was on a Sunday afternoon. And then on Tuesday night, there was a blues jam at a place called Kudzu's. Okay. And uh, so we went over there and uh, signed up and uh, sat there for a few hours watching, you know, various people get up to play and it was really great. Uh, they made us go on last because, of course, we're these crazy looking people that came from New York and who knew what was going to happen when these guys got on. <laughs> Look at those freaks, right? So uh, we get on stage, play the first song and the place literally erupted. Cool. And Herman Green walked up to the stage uh, and just literally wrapped himself around Mandy. It was love at first sight between those two. She's awesome. And She's... If, if anyone doesn't know who Herman Green is, Herman Green, uh, he is 87 years old now. 
He's a saxophone player and uh, lifelong Memphian. Um, he and B.B. King were best friends when they were teenagers and started playing music together. Um, he played with Lionel Hampton, played with John Coltrane, he played with Miles Davis. Um, right up to now, um, he um, went on tour with the drummer from... Uh, You're gonna have to edit this because I'm having a senior moment here. Um, <laughs> shit, can't. can't remember the name of the band. It's okay. Ah. <clears throat> Stephen Perkins, Jane's Addiction. There we go. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Nels Klein from Wilco. Um, so Herman, you know, from from the 1930s right up until the 20 teens, uh, and is still active uh, with his band Free World, and they've been playing at Blue City Cafe on Beale Street every Sunday night for the last 28 years. Imagine holding a gig in the same club for 28 years. That's crazy. Isn't it? Great band. Great band. So Herman is like the elder statesman of Memphis music. He, he cool. really is. And uh, Herman fell in love with Mandy and uh, invited us to come down and play on Beale Street that week, which here we are. I mean, we had literally just arrived in town, so... That, that kind of sealed the deal for us that night in deciding to stay here. And it's been seven years, and I think the best thing we could have done for ourselves. Uh, the next record that we made, we recorded here, and uh, it did very well. Um, we recorded it when we had been living here for two years, and so some influence had already sunk in, I think. And getting to record at American Studios also was um, an important factor in that because the vibe in that studio, you, you can't help but make great music because it literally pours out of the walls. What Really fantastic. What are some of your favorite guitars and equipment to use in the studio and also when you perform live? By far my favorite guitar that I own is a National Steel. I have a Duolian uh, resonator um, from National Resophonic Instruments. I do most of my writing on that guitar. Um, and when we play uh, uh, unplugged, quote unquote, as a duo, I use that guitar. Um, my favorite electric, um, I have a lot of electric guitars. I, 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 yeah. I prefer Stratocasters. Cool yeah. cool I prefer Stratocasters. I, I love Stratocasters. Right? I don't know why. Yeah. Well, I do know, <clears throat> pardon me, I do know why. Looks like a woman. It's in the shape of a car well, or a woman. And there you go. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily the shape that enamors me to it. It's it definitely sound, the sound, yeah, sound tone. and how you have to work that guitar to get your sound. Because it definitely pushes back. Yes. Stratocaster. Yes, it pushes do. back at you. Yeah. And I didn't start on Fenders. I was a Gibson player. And I owned a Firebird, um, which I bought when I was 18. Uh, and I had that guitar... Um, I had it for about 10 years before it got stolen, um, sadly. Um, and I couldn't afford to replace it um, because they don't come cheap. Uh, mine, the one that I had was a, was a vintage Firebird. It was a, a 1966 non-reverse with the three P90s. It was a fantastic guitar. Uh, and that was the guitar I used when I played with John Cale and when I recorded with John Cale. Cool. Um, and it was stolen after I left the band. 
um, and I was broke. I couldn't afford to replace it. Um, I was in a band at the time uh, called Cool It Reba, um, and we were on Hannibal Records. Cool It Reba? Cool It Reba. Kind of an interesting band. Uh, look it up online. Yeah. Um, uh, the guitar was stolen from the Hannibal Records warehouse, which is where we rehearsed. So the president of the company, Joe Boyd, um, basically I was given a good news, bad news deal. What do you want to hear first? The good news or the bad news? I said, well, you may as well give me the bad news. Your guitar was stolen. Oh, no. What's the good news? Oh, we're going to buy you a new one. I'm like, fantastic. Firebird? Oh, no, we can't afford that. So Stratocaster is what I got. That's an interesting what, story. Right. That's what they could afford. Uh, I did not fall in love with it immediately because you really do have to figure out how to make a Strat work for you. Yeah. And that took a while. It took a while, but it, it grew on me, slowly but surely, uh, and now I own a handful of them. Um, I've got five Stratocasters, I, I do have a few Telecasters as well, and then i got a bunch of oddball guitars that, I, that, that I love, you know, i got some crazy stuff. Um, I have a 1945 Harmony Jazz, an archtop, which is, wow, crazy guitar, great guitar. Um, I have a K, a late 50s K. Uh, three three pickup model that is wow, crazy rockabilly that? guitar. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I have um, uh, an early '60s Tiesco uh, hollow body, sort of a 335 style. That's a very cool guitar that I rescued from a dumpster and resuscitated. <laughs> yeah, it's a dumpster <laughs> guitar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of Dan Electros. Um, I have a custom-made uh, Just Insane guitar. That was built by uh, Robert Mondello. Um, Robert Mondell, I apologize. Um, which is really a fantastic guitar. Um, sort of sounds like an electric resonator, but it's not a resonator. There's no cone in it. But it has a metal front and a metal back, and it is hollow in between. It's a neck through. And it has a very sort of eerie, hollow tone that lends itself very well to slide guitar, and I strictly use that in open tuning uh, for slide. The action's very high, and the strings are, there's a lot of tension. I, I use a high open A tuning, and uh, um, that guitar sounds fantastic, and I like to record with that. Um, uh, as far as recording is concerned, um, I'm very flexible. Uh, I've recorded direct to, direct into the board using Universal Audio plugins. Uh, they have a 1955 Fender amp plug-in that really, wow, sounds great. Yeah. Um, some and sometimes sounds even better than miking an amp. Um, it's crazy what technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be open to it. Yeah. Because uh, there's so much great stuff, um, especially the Universal Audio stuff, which which I'm I'm nuts about. Um, I had a UAD-1 card when they first came out. Um, this was before they, they were making uh, boxes. Uh, they strictly had PCI cards that you had to put in the computer. Um, uh, the plugins are great. The compressors, like an LA-2A, or all the Teletronic stuff, and, and uh, now they do channel strips, Neve, um, oh, SSL. Yeah. Um, they've got um, one plug-in. That, it's, that's, that was designed by Rupert Neve that is literally just a tape emulation. So it's as if you're recording to 2-inch. What? Yeah. 
it, it introduces those artifacts into whatever track you're putting through it. It's, it's crazy how great this stuff is. Um, and so good, in fact, that we're at the point now that, and I know people will argue this point, um, but... Analog versus digital? Well, not just analog versus digital, but also console versus recording in the box. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, I do not believe that a console is necessary any longer since there are plugins that will introduce the same sonics into your tracks. Yeah. Why why spend which could be I mean you were talking about an SSL or a Neve console a quarter of a million dollars. It's a yeah, lot of it's a lot of, a lot of it's a lot of money. Um, so that that you got that aspect. Uh, you also have tape versus digital. Now, now first there... of all, tape. Hold on, tape is so expensive. It is at this point. Yes, it is. That <coughs> if you're if you are an indie musician and you really are dead set against digital, want to record the tape, you're going to have to rent a reel, which means that you're going to have to fill that reel, dump it into digital, wipe it, and start again. Yeah. yeah. You can't cut the tape. You can't. Yeah. You can't. You know, unless you own that reel of tape, you can't take a razor to it. No. Um, and good luck finding an engineer that <laughs> even knows how to do that. Too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how you're in the studio recording. Oh, let's fly that chorus in for the end of the song too. Yeah. That really sounds great. We'll just use it in all those spots. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, how would you do that if Back you were recording then. to tape? Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to take a razor uh, to the kids tape. Have it so easy. Now. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think also they have too many options. That, that that gets dangerous when you start stacking 200 tracks to make a song, you know. Yeah. So. All right, we are back here with Sturgis, part three. So, Mr. Sturgis. Yes, sir. What are some of your favorite cities you've played in, festivals, and venues, mm. and? what is in store for the future for Low Society. Okay, well, not to blow my own horn or anything, but I have played all over the world. Um, when I uh, played with John Cale when I was a young man, um, we went everywhere. Um, we literally played almost every state in the Union and every province in Canada. I've driven across the Continental Divide three times. Um, I went to Europe with him, I went to Asia with him, went to the Middle East with him, um, and I was very young, I was 20 years old, very exciting. Um, but since I've uh, been doing Low Society with Mandy for the last uh, nine years, um, we've gone back and forth to Europe uh, six times. Awesome. Um, actually in the last four years we've gone back and forth six times. Um, our favorite place to play, uh, I would definitely say, is Luxembourg. Um, we keep wow. returning to Luxembourg. They love us there, and we love them right back. Um, last summer, we played uh, a thing in July called the Luxembourg Blues and Jazz Rally, and uh, there were 30,000 people at this thing. <laughs> it was insane. And um, <clears throat> the guy, or one of the guys that books that, 
Um, his name is Claude Hastert, and he is the president of the Lutzeborg Blues Society. It's the, it is the Blues Society of Luxembourg, uh, and he is, he is the head of that. And uh, he's been a fan of ours since the first CD. Uh, he reviewed our first CD on their website. And uh, I kind of formed a little alliance with this guy after I saw that review years ago and started begging him to bring us to Luxembourg to play at one of their things, because they have concerts every month. Um, first time we played there was November of 2017. Um, and we played the, uh, their Blues Club 20th anniversary party. Uh, and it was us and Anson Funderburg, which was just the greatest night, I have to say, in this fantastic old venue that they have there. So th that was a couple of years ago. And uh, a couple of months later, um, we got a message from him uh, telling us that he, got a, that he was going to be booking us at this blues and jazz rally. Cool. Next thing you know, he's telling us you're on the main stage and by the way you're the headliner what <laughs> we're the headliner what are you talking about he wasn't lying we were and we have video to prove it too um so we love luxembourg um we went back again in november so we played there actually played in luxembourg twice last year um we played at uh a really lovely venue there, um, run by a guy named Jimmy Osborne. Shout out to Jimmy. And uh, we'll be back in Luxembourg later this year. Uh, we're playing a river cruise uh, in September that Claude got for us. River cruise. A river cruise, a blues cruise. Yeah, they have a, they have a river. That, there's a river that runs through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we also have four festivals booked uh, in Belgium and the Netherlands in August. Um, awesome. That we booked while we were over there last winter. Um, Hayes pretty decent. Oh yeah, yeah. Festivals, festivals are good. So now we just need to fill it out, you know, sure. with some more dates. But we'll be. That's the tough part. Yeah, we'll be in Europe from uh, the end of July until uh, October, I think, this year. What? Yeah. July till the October? end of July. The end of July to the beginning of October. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, we played in Hamburg. Hey man, uh, you gotta, you gotta go where people love you. And exactly. We we played in Hamburg last November, at a really cool place called Cowboy in Indiana, and uh, they liked us so much that they want us to come back for four nights, uh, the first weekend of October, of this year. So we're still negotiating that. Um, so that's why we may be there through October, is because of that particular date. I'm not 100 percent on it yet. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, and our first date is uh, a festival in uh, on August fourth. So we have we have to fly out of here probably by July twenty fifth in order to have a couple of days to get the jet lag out of the way and also to rehearse with uh, our awesome rhythm section over there. Uh, Jackie Verstraten, bass player, and Bart DeBrooker, our drummer. We love those guys, and in fact, we love them so much. So much we love them. Uh, we are playing at the Canton Blues Festival uh, in Canton, Ohio on June 7th this summer. And uh, we're flying them over to play it. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're playing that. Um, 
on June 8th, we're at the Midway Tavern in Mishawaka, Indiana. The next night, and I'm trying to book a couple other things to go with it. Uh, if you've never played at the Midway. I, I think I almost did. Everybody yeah. tells me about it. But really lovely people. It's where Kevin Hardy lives. Kevin, the DJ, lives there in Mishawaka. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, and... Uh, We love playing in Indiana. We, we've played at the Slippery Noodle a bunch of times in Indianapolis. And uh, if we can do that that week, we'll probably do that too. So see what happens. All right, we're back here with Sturgis. And in closing, where can people find your music and your performances and where you're playing next? We are on all of the major social networking dead ends that you're all so familiar with. Uh, Low Society Band on Facebook. Low Society Band on Instagram. Uh, Low Society Band on Twitter. Um, just Google us. That, that's your easiest, uh, your easiest option. And we have a website as well. Uh, www.screaminblues.com And there's no G in that. Just screaminblues.com um, Our next uh, American appearance is tonight here in Memphis. Ha. Um, but a- after that, uh, we're in uh, Conneaut, Pennsylvania on March 29th and 30th at the Spirits and Americana Festival. Uh, it looks like we may be playing in New York City um, right after that. So we're talking April 3rd or 4th, possibly. Uh, we'll be at the Canton Blues Festival in Canton, Ohio on June 7th um, at the Midway Tavern in Mishawaka, Indiana on June 8th. And then back to Europe in August for a bunch of festivals. Uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Germany, hopefully France as well. Uh, I'm still working on that. Uh, And uh, by the grace of God, uh, we'll have a new album out this year as well. We've started working on it, and uh, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and get it done. Hardest working man, hardest working band in Memphis, ladies and gentlemen. Check them out. Sturgis and Mandy in the Lowest Society Band. And as always... Peace, love, and hot sauce.